Well, it's good to see you this morning, and uh, those of you who are tuning in at home, uh, welcome to our Good Friday service. I don't know how many of you saw the announcement uh, highlighting today's service and the, the title of the message for today uh, is King Jesus, the Crucified King, but also said Murder Mystery. And uh, maybe that caught some of you by surprise and kind of wondering what that has to do with a Good Friday message. Uh, I don't know how many of you are even familiar with a murder mystery game. Uh, I don't even know if they still do it. It was quite a popular party game uh, 20, 25 years ago. I had the opportunity to be involved in a few. Typically, it's a dinner party, uh, and you would invite your guests to this murder mystery dinner party. Sometimes the guests knew Uh, who the murderer was, or sorry, the person who was the murderer knew who they were. Before they got there, sometimes the game is played, and as the evening goes on, you discover that you indeed are the murderer. And the whole point of the evening is to try to identify who the guilty party uh, is. And uh, if you go all out, uh, it's a beautiful dinner, and uh, you get all dressed up for the event. And this one in particular that I was involved in, it was a, uh, you knew your role ahead of time, you got dressed up. But there was a twist to this evening. And the twist involved me. Uh, My friends who were hosting the event uh, asked me to come early, and they told me what my role was going to be, and I was going to be a woman. Uh, And uh, when I got there, they dressed me up totally, makeup, everything, uh, as a woman. And you could imagine, I was a very lovely lady, uh, and they had a hat on me and this thing over my face. So no one, even my sister who was there, did not know through most of the evening that it was me. Uh, And my role was a very quiet, secretive lady who kind of sat off by herself. Uh, And uh, so the evening progressed, and at times it seemed really obvious who the murderer was. Uh, Then it got really complex. Sometimes it was was overwhelming. Uh, But by the end of the uh, evening, uh, justice was served uh, along with the main course and dessert. And it was a wonderful evening and the guilty party was identified, uh, but there was no punishment. Uh, and eventually they discovered who this uh, petite lady was. Uh, it was me. And my sister was quite shocked when I took all the ensemble off and I was quite happy to take all the uh, ensemble off. But that's a murder mystery game. But in real life, obviously murder uh, is a totally different thing. Uh, and When there is glaring injustice, such as murder, closure only really begins when the guilty party is identified and the guilty party uh, is punished. Well, this morning we're here, and it's Good Friday, and we are remembering the death of Jesus. And, And there's all sorts of different viewpoints that people have on Good Friday and on specifically on the death of Jesus. Uh, for some, the death of Jesus is the most important and significant death that ever took place in history. And, and for other people, the death of Jesus is the most overrated remembrance. But regardless of people's viewpoint, I think most people are in agreement that the death of Jesus was a grave uh, injustice, a miscarriage uh, of uh, of injustice, where an innocent man was beaten and put to death. And if it's true that closure only begins when the guilty party is identified and punished, 
the question must be asked concerning the death of Jesus. Who killed Jesus? Who's to blame for the death of Jesus? It's about 15 years now. It's hard to believe it's that long ago. Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, came out. uh, And it was all the talk. And I had one of my salesmen uh, in my office, and he covered the New York City area. Uh, He was from the New York City area. He was Jewish by birth, uh, not really uh, one who observed his Jewish faith. Uh, And he was telling me that he was going to go and see the movie. And I was quite shocked uh, because at the time the movie was uh, being... um, critiqued as, as being anti-Semitic, and, and uh, Mel Gibson was horrible in putting this movie out. At least that's what some people were saying. And so I questioned, well, why would you want to go and see The Passion of the Christ? Uh, and he said, well, Brent, he says, my people have been blamed for the death of Jesus throughout history. And so I want to see what my people are accused of having done. And it's true, throughout history, the Jewish people have probably received the majority of the blame for the death of Jesus Christ. And so is it the Jews who are to blame for the death of Jesus? Or could it be the Romans? What part did Satan have in it? Could you and I, 2,000 years removed from Calvary, have a share in the blame? Who killed Jesus? Who's to blame? Well, this morning, I thought we'd kind of have a little murder mystery game of our own, and, and, and you're going to sit on the jury, and, and we're going to look at some of the evidence. We're going to look at some of the suspects, and then we're going to see uh, in the end what the true verdict really is. Uh, but first, we need to begin by identifying the innocent victim, Jesus. And, and, and crimes are even more senseless, especially murder, when the victim Uh, is innocent. innocent. And I think it's important right at the outset that we establish the innocence of Jesus. And there's numerous verses that we could look at uh, that uh, display the innocence of Jesus for us. 1 Peter 2 verse 22 reads, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Uh, The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 7 verse 26, uh, discussing Jesus as the high priest, the great high priest. He says, Jesus This great high priest truly meets our needs. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. And so it would appear that Jesus was innocent. uh, And so his death is definitely a miscarriage of justice. In fact, it is a full-blown act of evil. That Jesus, who is innocent, was made to look uh, like a guilty criminal, uh, guilty of a heinous crime. And so if Jesus is innocent, who's to blame for this injustice? Who's to blame for this death? Was it the Jews? Was it the Jewish people? Uh, As I said, throughout history, the fingers have pointed at the Jews to blame for the death of Jesus. In fact, it's been used as justification for everything from hate crimes uh, through to the Holocaust. And and as you listen to Daniel uh, read the uh, passage this morning, uh, it would appear that the evidence points to the Jewish people as being blameworthy or or sharing at least in the blame for the death of Jesus. 
if you look at the Old Testament, it actually prophesies that, that Jesus would be rejected and mistreated by his own people. If we look at the story of what takes place around that last week of Jesus' life, and even before that, we see that the Jewish leaders plotted against Jesus. They condemned Jesus. They, they concocted false stories in, in order to get um, Jesus punished. And they blackmailed Pilate to carry through the verdict. Uh, we read about Judas, who out of sheer greed sells Jesus for the price of a slave betrays him, turns him over. And then the Jewish people. We saw it last week, if you're here, when we looked at the Palm Sunday story. The Jewish people were actually praising and worshiping Jesus. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They, they were worshiping him as, as the promised Messiah come. This one come from God and yet, by week's end, they are screaming, crucify him! Crucify him! And what was their motive? What would motivate the Jewish people to turn on Jesus and hand him over to death? Well, the Jewish leaders, they would, they would try to convince us that their motives were very honorable. They had doctrinal, they had ethical, they had political reasons that Jesus needed to be silenced. Jesus broke all the rules. He made friends with prostitutes and tax collectors. He claimed to be God. He threatened the very fragile peace that the Jewish people kept with Rome. We've seen the motive that Judas had for betraying Jesus. Greed. Self-interest. In fact, it's interesting when you look at Mark in chapter 15, Mark tells us that Pilate knew what the motivation of the Jewish leaders actually was. It was self-interest too. They were envious of Jesus. They were jealous they were afraid, they felt threatened that, that Jesus was going to disrupt, disrupt uh, the rule and the control that they had. They were envious of the fact that Jesus' popularity was greater than theirs. They were envious and jealous of the fact that, that, that Jesus held the hearts of so many. And so out of self-interest, they wanted to silence, to permanently silence Jesus. And what about the Jewish people like we saw last Sunday? Remember, it was unfulfilled expectations. They had great expectations for what Jesus was going to do and was going to be and was going to create for them. And when they realized that that wasn't going to happen, they turned their back on Jesus. And so from the Jewish leaders, right down to individuals like Judas, right down to the common Jewish person, it seems that there's lots of evidence that we could point our finger at the Jewish people and blame them for the death of Jesus. But what about the Romans? Maybe we better bring in some more suspects in this murder trial. We can't overlook the role that Pilate played. 
Pilate, in, in collusion with, with Herod, sentenced Jesus, Jesus to death, handed him over uh, to die. Setting aside justice for the sake of appeasing an angry crowd. Avoiding a, an embarrassing demonstration. Choosing to sacrifice an innocent man for the sake of their own political career. And let's not forget the Roman people that had the most direct involvement in the death of Jesus. The Roman soldiers. Now, crucifixion, it, 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 was, a, it was a way of executing a criminal. That wasn't what was out of the ordinary. But the Roman soldiers went way beyond the call of duty, went way beyond the rules, went way beyond the prescribed standards when they dealt with Jesus. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. They hit him. They spit on him. They mocked him. They stripped him. They beat him with a whip with way more lashes than was supposed to have been allowed to the point where Jesus was a bloody pulp. And then they forced Jesus to try to carry his cross through town, displaying him like a guilty criminal. And they got him to the place of his execution and they nailed his hands and his feet to a cross and they stood the cross up and they laughed at him and they hurled insults at him and they mocked and they laughed and they watched Jesus die. And so the Jews, they may have a blame in the death of Jesus, but, but let's not forget the Romans. From the Roman leadership right down to the soldiers, they play a, a, they, they play a blameworthy role in the death of Jesus. In fact, it's, it's a real odd combination of people who were involved that day in the death of Jesus. The Jews and the Romans. Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders the common Jewish folk and the Roman soldiers. A, a, a combination of people that rarely agreed on anything, and yet they, they worked together and put Jesus to death. You know, when I think of that, and I think back 2,000 years ago to what took place, there, I, I have this feeling of comfort knowing that it was so long ago You know, there's a, a few recurring dreams that I have, and I don't read too much into them, and I'm not going to tell you some of them, but, but, but this one recurring dream I, I have had is that I've committed a crime. I usually wake up, I'm not really quite sure what the crime was, but I'm on the run, and people are going to catch me, and in the dream, I just have this, the, the emotions of knowing that if I'm caught, I'm in trouble. I will be punished. And then I wake up, what a comfort to know it was just a dream. That there's a distance between reality and my dream. Just like there's a distance between 2022 and the year that Jesus was put to death by the Jews and by the Romans. But you know what's interesting? The Bible doesn't point a finger at any sole individual or any specific race of people 
when it comes to the blame for the death of Jesus Christ. And and that's no justification. Because the Bible clearly explains that the death of Jesus Christ was the corporate act of evil humanity against God. That comfort I felt that it was 2,000 years is wiped right away. Because the Bible doesn't say, hey, you in 2022, don't worry. The people to blame for the death of Jesus were day one, Good Friday. It doesn't say, oh, you people who are in Canada, don't worry. It was the Jews and the Romans. You, you Protestants, you don't have anything to worry about. That's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible says all of us are guilty. All of humanity shares the blame in the death of Jesus Christ and how it was 2,000 years ago. And yet if you're willing to be honest and if we're willing to be honest with ourselves, we'd realize the very same characteristics that we see in the people that played a role in the death of Jesus Christ on that first Good Friday are the same characteristics that we see in our lives today. Pilate, how often we choose the easy things over the hard things. How often do we acknowledge Jesus on the inside, but we sell him out when we're in a crowd? How often do we, do we reject and, and try to, to uh, keep ourselves at, to, from experiencing the pain and the sacrifice of wholehearted commitment and instead choose half-hearted compromise? Like Judas, how often does self-interest determine our priorities, our pursuits. Like the Jewish people, how often when we realize that what we are expecting Jesus to do for us and to accomplish for us, when we feel that that hasn't been fulfilled, that we turn our back on Jesus and instead embrace something else. You see, the Bible does say that there is one group of humans who are responsible for the death of Jesus. And it's the group of people known as sinners. And the Bible tells us that all, all of us, all of us have sinned. We all fall short of God's perfection, God's standard that he sets for those who could be in a right relationship with him. You know, it's really interesting about the, the movie, The Passion of the Christ. As I said, Mel Gibson was, was accused of being anti-Semitic uh, and, and that this, what this was at the core of what this movie was about. And yet one of the things that was really interesting about the movie, and, and a lot of people don't even know this. I mean, Mel Gibson obviously has, has been in many films as the, the key uh, character. And yet he chose not to be in the movie other than in one part. If you watch really carefully, if you've seen The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson appears for a very brief moment. It's his hand that's pounding the nail into the hands and feet of Jesus. And Gibson was asked, why, out of all the roles that you could give in yourself in the movie, did you choose, that was it. No one saw your face. It was just your hand pounding the nail. And this was Gibson's response. 
It was for our sins that Jesus died. We were there. Our sin nailed Jesus to the cross. We are to blame. All of us who have fallen short of perfection. Dr. Peter Marshall writes, when we're honest with ourselves, we know that we were there too and that we helped put Christ there because every attitude present on that hilltop that day is present with us now. Every emotion that tugged at human hearts then tugs at human hearts still. Every human being was represented at Calvary. Every sin was in a nail or the spear or the needle like thorns and pardon for them was in the blood that was shed. It's easy for us to look back now at the cross, and a lot of people do, and, and, and to come to conclusions. To conclude that the cross represents the greatest uh, injustice of human evil. The cross is, is a tragic end to someone who is just trying to live a good life. But there's more to the story. Just like in the murder mystery party I was involved in, there was a twist. There's a twist in this story as well. You see, the cross is a display of the most, uh, the, the greatest miscarriage of justice ever known to man. But it also displays the greatest display of divine justice ever known to man. You see, here's the twist. God played a role in that first Good Friday. Acts 2, verse 22 and 23, we read, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. When Jesus was put to death, it was a fulfillment of God's plan. The death of Jesus was, was part of God's foreknowledge, part of his purpose. He ordained it. He purposed it. Isaiah 53, I'm not going to take the time to, to read all of it, but it, it says that he was pierced for our transgressions. Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And moving on to verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. In the King James Version, it says that it pleased God to crush him. And to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And so even back in Isaiah's day, it's prophesied that God's plan is that the promised Messiah was going to be put to death. What could possibly motivate God? to send his son to die. The motivation is this. 
that the death of Jesus has resulted in the salvation of countless numbers of people. The death of Jesus allows God to forgive sinners for their sin and to offer them eternal life if they put their faith in the person and work of Jesus without God compromising his holiness and his justice and his perfection. It pleased God. How in the world did it please God? It pleased God that redemption was secured. It pleased God that sinners now have a way to come into a right relationship with him. It pleased God because through the death of Jesus, he was able to display his holy anger against sin. Because sin is serious. It is a serious problem. And through the cross, God displays his holy anger against sin while at the same time displaying and demonstrating this infinite love that he has for you and me who are part of the human group known as sinners and every one of us is in it. And he loves us so much that he was willing to bear the cost and the sacrifice to send his, Jesus, uh, his son to the cross. We're going to adjourn for a moment. And uh, Daniel's going to lead us in a song. I, I just want us to focus and to think uh, about God's role in this, in sending his son to die uh, on a cross for us. And then we're going, to, we're going to close off the message, which will lead right into communion. And uh, if you don't have a communion package, or if at home you don't have something to, to, to partake in communion with us, just take a moment during the song to slip out to the back or slip into your kitchen and, and grab something that, uh, so that we can celebrate communion together. So as we've gone through our message this morning, we've looked at various subjects who uh, we could point the finger at to blame for the death of Jesus. Uh, We've looked at the Jewish people, we've looked at the Romans, and and we've even seen that we uh, have an involvement and can have the fingers pointed at us for the the blame of the the death of Jesus. And And then we've seen this twist that this was God's plan all along. The, the, the way back, God determined that this was going to how he was going to make things right, that he was going to send his son and his son was going to die. But as we get to this point in our trial, it, there's one other person I think we need to bring forth and, and we already brought him forth at the start, but I'm going to bring him back up again. That's Jesus. Because, because Jesus looked back to that day, or sorry, people look back to that day of Jesus' death and, and, and lots see, lot see him as a, uh, an innocent victim and, and, and some conclude he's just an unfortunate martyr who made a really bad mistake and chose a disloyal follower or, or who betrayed him. But what if we were to be told that he was a willing volunteer in what took place? The Bible tells us that Jesus came to earth for a very specific purpose. To save sinners. To atone for sin. To pay the price, the price that we can't pay for our sin. Because Paul says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he says that the wages of sin is death. So that, that's what we get for our inability to live up to God's standard. But then Paul continues, but the gift of God 
this, this great plan of redemption that involved Jesus coming to this earth to die to pay the price for our sins. And so Jesus' death is also a demonstration of the absolute submission that Jesus had to the will of his Father. That the fact that Jesus was innocent makes his death the greatest sacrifice and the greatest display of pure love ever known. And I'm saying this about Jesus. The fact that we would be so eager to point our finger at the Jews and the Romans and anyone else that we can blame for the death of Jesus causes us to miss out on the spiritual authority, the control that Jesus had over his life and over his death. We talked about that last week, right? That Jesus was determined that he was going to Jerusalem because it was prophesied that it was going to be in Jerusalem that he was going to be betrayed and he was going to be put to death. And nothing was going to deter that destination from Jesus. And if you remember Lloyd's sermon from a few weeks ago, when he looked at the passage from John, one of the final phrases of Jesus. And we see that absolute control, the, the authority that Jesus had over his life and over his death. Because we read that Jesus is hanging on the cross and he cries out, It is finished. Not a cry of defeat. Not not a cry just of painful agony. But rather, it was a cry of triumph, a shout of victory. It is finished. God's plan of redemption has been fulfilled. My purpose for coming to earth has been accomplished. My mission is done. The payment for sin has been made. Now it is possible for sinners to receive true forgiveness and eternal life and enter right relationship with my Father. It is finished. You know, in any moment of what took place with what those Roman soldiers did to Jesus, he could have annihilated them. He could have called on the angels. He could have slipped away like he'd done before. But Jesus knew it was the right time. And even while hanging on the cross, he was able to determine, now's the time. Now is when I will give up my life. It says that Jesus cried out, it is finished. And then he bowed down his head. The original language would be the words that we would use if I was to say, I lay my head down on my pillow. Jesus lay down his head. And gave up his spirit and commended himself to the Father. Jesus was in absolute control, full authority over life and death. And he willingly volunteered to go through this for you and for I. And so I think we can come to a verdict. From a human perspective, all of us are to blame for the death of Jesus. Like Isaiah says, he was wounded for our transgressions. It's because of our sin that Jesus was put to death. But then there's that twist. 
we also see that the death of Jesus was God's plan all along and that Jesus was a willing volunteer. And we've asked about motivation about every other subject. What about Jesus? What motivated Jesus? What kept him on course? What allowed him to take the abuse that he received without fighting back, without calling on the angels, like I said? It was love. Love for his father, love for us. The Bible says that God demonstrates his love, and, and the cool thing about that word demonstrates is not a, it's not in the past tense. It's in the present tense. God is demonstrating his love. And he's demonstrating his love today in what? In the fact that he sent his son to die on a cross for our sins while we were yet sinners. Remembering Good Friday is, is a demonstration of God's love over and over again. Not that Jesus has to keep dying over and over but the remembrance of it is a demonstration that God's demonstrating his love. Every time a sinner comes to salvation, God is demonstrating his love. And we remember what Jesus did for us because that's the key. That's the core of our very faith. And so this morning, it's only fitting that we, we end our service. So Daniel's going to lead us in another song. But, but, but just to take a moment, each and every one of us, to remember what God did for us through his son, Jesus, that he sent Jesus to die to shed his blood so that our sins may be forgiven. And the thing that held Jesus to the cross wasn't the nails, wasn't fear of the Romans, it was love. Love for you and love for me. And so if you are a child of God, if you have faith in the person and work of Jesus, this is a feast, this is a celebration for you to remember what Jesus has done. And you take the little wafer, which is a a symbol of the fact that, that Jesus gave his body for you. And then you drink the juice, which is a symbol of the blood necessary for the forgiveness of sin that was shed for you. And so I I would encourage you just to take a moment. I'm just going to give thanks. And uh, when you're ready, uh, you can uh, uh, partake. And then in a few moments, Daniel will lead us in a a final song. Father, we thank you this morning uh, that we can come and, and we can be faced with the truth of Good Friday. Father, in a way, Good Friday is horrible Friday because we feel horrible that it was because of our sin that, that Jesus was put to death. But it's a great Friday because we know that in your plan that Jesus accomplished salvation for each and every one of us. And for that, we worship you and we praise you and we are so thankful. And Father, we, as we take this bread, the, the wafer, and we take the juice, Lord, uh, may our thoughts uh, and uh, motives be pure and, and be in thanksgiving and in worship as we remember what you did for us. And so we receive our thanks And thank you for forgiving our sins. In Jesus' name, amen.